First, uh, let me invite the children to children in worship right through that uh, door. And uh, today we'll continue on our journey through uh, the book of the Samuels and the Kings. Um, as uh, we've been walking with uh, Samuel the prophet, and then King Saul, King David, and now with King Solomon, exploring how they had influence and how we learn from them, how we too have uh, have influence. And today, what will uh, we'll be in First uh, Kings chapter eight? It's on two eighty eight in your pew Bible. If you uh, want to turn there, you can follow along on the screen. But this is um, one where the uh, the Ark of the Covenant, which is one of the probably the most important piece of furniture in the Old Testament, it is it is uh, what was built back in Exodus 25 with Moses. God said, "These are this is going to be a symbol and sign of of my dwelling with you." Of uh, as we'll see as we read through this, and in it um, uh, there was uh, the budding rod of um, uh, um, Aaron. There was the manna. Um, uh, f- that fell from heaven, and there was also a copy of the the Ten Commandments back in Exodus. And then, um, uh, will that ark has traveled with, containing, uh, mostly traveled with Israel. Every once in a while, it would be um, uh, taken by other um, uh, opposing armies and, and stuff. But it is now moving into its first permanent building, and uh, it's. Um, only been 550, 600 years. So you, you think you have moving stories. You know, the Ark of the Covenant of God, it has a moving story to, to tell us. But it demonstrates, demonstrates the, just the faithfulness and perseverance of God. That this was his, and we'll hear this over and over um, in this passage um, of the, this is what God has promised. God promised uh, this through Abraham. He promised it through Moses. He promised it through David. These are being fulfilled um, as the ark comes um, into the the temple. It's been in the tabernacle, the tent, and been traveling around on sort of this temporary kind of exhibit for 550 years. And now it finds its resting place. So, you know, you can imagine just the, the sense of joy and, and celebration and silence and awe knowing this journey that now comes to this resting place for this moment. You know, and I, I think of, of people um, who have had you know, long journeys of faithfulness and I'm always amazed by them. You know, one, uh, what was uh, Ricky Jackson? I don't know if you heard about him. He was um, convicted of murder when he was 18. Um, and... Uh, Wrongly convicted. And he was just released this last year. He was in prison in the state of Ohio. And he was released after 38 years of being wrongly imprisoned. And yet he comes out saying, I'm ready to live the life that I've been given now. And and he said one of the reasons is because I know people who are wrongfully convicted who haven't been released. And I'm like... How does somebody do that? And and what was his sense of relief? And what were the tears of his joy after being imprisoned for 38 years of his life? 
Um, I, I think about J.R.R. Tolkien. You know, he's the writer of The Hobbit, Fellowship of the Rings. You know, the first poem he wrote about Middle Earth was when he was 22 years old. And it was not, it, it took 40 years of writing and rewriting and going through different things, writing The Hobbit before The Fellowship of the Rings was finally published. You know, and what, what a sense, what a, what a journey. And yet those are just 38 and 40 year journeys. This one is 500 to 600 years. And so that's the, the weight and the sense of, of uh, celebration um, and uh, that, that we find as Solomon now has built the temple and God's faithfulness is celebrated, which we'll look at um, here um, today. So uh, let's, uh, let's pray together. Uh, gracious God, we do thank you that you are faithful um, and that you continue to carry out your plans and purposes uh, across the days, years, decades, centuries, even millennia. Um, you are faithful. So we celebrate you. Now, uh, continue to teach us as we look at your word, mold us and form us to be your people for your purposes, your desires and your glory. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Um, all right, so in, in chapter 8, um, well, chapter 5 was preparation for the construction of the temple. Chapter 6 and 7 are the construction of the temple and also the development of all the furnishings that are in the temple. And now you get to chapter 8, and this is really, the, in, in a sense, the ark. Now this is when the ark is brought into the temple. So that which represents the very presence of God in their midst is now brought in, into the temple. And what we're going to encounter is Solomon's prayers here. He, he um, uh, spends a, a moment um, in chapter, or in verse 12 through 21. It's a, he's blessing uh, the Lord, so he's speaking to the Lord. And now we enter into his prayer of dedication, starting, we're going to look at verse 27. And we'll, we'll capture a couple parts of this, uh, this prayer um, of, uh, of dedication after the ark has entered into the temple. All right, verse uh, 27, this paragraph through verse 30. But will God indeed, and again, these are the words of Solomon, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God. Listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day. That your eyes may be open night and day toward this house. The place of which you have said, my name shall be there. That you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place. And listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. And listen in heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. Now, a couple things just just uh, from from this particular part of the prayer. One, notice how um, Solomon is he's negotiating what exactly the ark and the temple is. You know, this is the place where the name of God dwells, but it's not the place really where God dwells. Matter of fact, there is nothing that can contain the fullness of God. There's no place for God to dwell because God dwells 
everywhere, right? Uh, He is present everywhere. But this is a place where his name will dwell. This is a place that represents his dwelling among the people. Um, and by the, by him saying this is the, the place where my name shall be there, is that this is a place that's a representative, uh, um, uh, a reminder of the very presence of God in their midst and his character, his power, his essence, and his work. It's a reminder of that place. And he's saying, so now we're going to hear our prayers as we plead and um, that you will listen. That's a common phrase. Listen to our prayers as we're praying towards this building. It's a reminder of your character, of your essence, uh, of your work and your power. It's, it, and so I, I think what he's getting at here is he's saying, this is not magic now. This is not our um, divine rabbit's foot. That now once this is here, we're good. You know, because, I mean, if we've got God in our midst, then what can happen to us? You know, it's, it's not that. It's not a talisman. It's not a good luck charm. Um, it, it's a representative, a reminder of that his name shall dwell here among these people. So his character, his essence, his work and his power. You know, it's similar, I think, to when Jesus tells us, you know, Pray in my name. You know, pray in the name of Jesus. What you pray for in my name, you know, I will do for you. And he, so he's, and he's not giving us magic words to put at the end of our prayer. He's not saying, you know, ask whatever you want to. As long as you say these words in the name of Jesus, then somehow that's some of abracadabra that therefore God will do. Um, no, praying in the name of Jesus means that we're praying in the character, in the essence, aware of the power in the work of Jesus in our midst. So if we're praying for something that is not in alignment with the character and essence of God, then and for us now, then this is a corrective to say, no, what you're praying for is stupid. What you're praying for is selfish. What you're praying for has nothing to do with the purposes and plans of God. So you can say all the magic words you want. But God's not going to do what is immoral or what is against his good and perfect will. Um, so part of prayer is engaging with God and having our own desires corrected and made in the alignment with God. But it's also a reminder of his power. And he said, so when you pray towards this house, no, you are praying to the, the creator of the universe, the one who brought everything out of nothing. This is not a weak God, but one who is the God of all the earth. So we are connecting as well with his power and his work. Um, And you'll note um, in this that uh, he ends, that the last phrase is there as he sets up the seven particular petitions... Um, uh, That will flow um, uh, starting with verse uh, uh, 31. That that God will listen in heaven, which is your dwelling place. So your dwelling place is not here. Your dwelling place is in heaven. But even then, he's already said, but even heaven in the highest heaven can't contain you. So again, we're recognizing what what he's... uh, I was trying to negotiate this, uh, what's going on in the temple and the ark. And you will listen, and when you hear... Forgive. And that becomes a theme in actually seven, uh, four of the, the seven petitions. If you read through the next, the rest of the chapter, you'll see yes, seven different petitions. Four of them are particularly about hear and forgive. 
Now, I got good news for you. You've been praying in alignment, I think, with God's will and with what um, certainly I'm going to do. If you're like, when all of a sudden you started in prayer, when I said there are seven different prayers, you thought, oh, my Lord, is he going to go through all seven prayers? The Lord heard your prayer, and no, I'm not. Only, only two. Only two of them. However, one of them is the longest of the prayers. You should have prayed about that, but you didn't. And the longest one is the last one. And it's one of the four that talks about hear, listen to us and forgive. All right. Now, it's a long one. It's deep and it's but I'll be on the screen. But I want you to listen and capture this sense of God's uh, um, God's forgiveness and, and God reminding us, as we do every Sunday, to confess our sins, that He hears and listens and, and forgives and continues to transform us. And, and even um, uh, ways that, that He, that he um, will, will continue to work in us. He refuses to abandon us. That is His covenant. It's what He made with Abraham, what He made with Moses, what He made with David. You know, even in spite of us, He will remain faithful. And uh, the other thing, just a note, a little interesting note about kings, the writing of kings. You know, kings was put together after what we call the exile. Um, you know, when Israel was uh, and, and uh, was invaded by Babylon. And they were overtaken and they were made prisoners and taken back into Babylon. That It was written during that time. It was put together in that time. And so part of the reason that uh, th- this, this prayer is the longest, as you'll see, it's about being taken into captivity. It's telling the people of Israel in their day, you are in captivity, you are in Babylon. But this is God's, th- this is why, but this is God's promise to confess and be forgiven. All right. So if, uh, so verse 46, if they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin. Now, there's, that's a great thing right there. So that includes all of us. If for some reason you thought, well, that's not me. Um, th- this is you. Th- this, this is me. This is us. There is no one who does not sin. And you are angry with them and give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near. Yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, we have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent now, they, they right there, that's worth the day right there. You want to know what repentance means? There it is in just what eight or nine words. We have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly. Yeah, no, no, um, trying to, uh, Get, get around it or hide anything from God. But if they repent and with all their heart, and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who carried them captive and pray to you toward their land which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen and the house that I've built for your name, then hear in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their plea. And maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions that they have committed against you. And grant them compassion in the sight of those who carried them captive, that they may have compassion on them. For they are your people and your heritage, which you brought out of Egypt from the midst of the iron furnace. Let your eyes be open to the plea of your servant and to the plea of your people, Israel, giving ear to them whenever they call to you. 
For you separated them from among all the peoples of the earth to be your heritage as you declared through Moses, your servant, when you brought our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. So, again, four times, four different times that the petitions are about being forgiven. So the one thing, there's a whole lot in here, um, but uh, the one thing I want you to see from that, the reason of, of reading that is hearing God's desire, hearing God's heart. He wants to forgive those that sin, those that have acted wickedly, those that have um, uh, worked against him, those that have avoided him, those that have ignored him. He wants to get, forgive them. The, the temple is to be a place of forgiveness. Four of the seven prayers are you're praying towards the temple, towards the character. It's demonstrating the character, the essence, the power, the work of God. It is about we as sinners being forgiven by a holy God. And that's what he longs for. And this, this notion, you know, there's an Old Testament God. There's an Old Testament God who's righteous, you know, and um, he, he's the one who punishes. Um, and then there's a New Testament God who's the God of grace and mercy. That's wrong. There is a God who is both righteous and merciful throughout the entire scripture and from beginning to the end. This is the heart of God that he longs to bring forgiveness, compassion, liberation and transformation. In spite of us. And even in our brokenness, in our sin, in our rebellion. Even in the worst of times, I mean, in, to be taken captive was a pretty serious, significant issue. I mean, the whole, their whole lives were destroyed. But God says, repent, come back to me for anyone and everyone. Now, in this whole notion of the temple here in, in the Old Testament, this place of forgiveness points us to the New Testament and to the work of Jesus. Part of the reason the temple was the place of forgiveness was it was the place of all the sacrifices, you know, all the, the daily, the hourly, the re- all the sacrifices, the annual sacrifices that, that went on and on that were part of securing the atonement, the forgiveness of God's people. And Jesus is now the one and only sacrifice. He is the the complete and total sacrifice who secures forgiveness for all of God's people forever. So there's no longer a need for the temple. Because Jesus has satisfied, has totally defeated evil, the devil, and sin. So that in him and through him, we are forgiven and in right relationship with God. And in any and all who come to him in right relationship with God. I mean, he, and it makes sense, right? I mean, well, in John chapter 2, um, Jesus even said this much. He's walking along with some of his disciples, and they're in and around the temple. And he says, you know, um, destroy this temple, and in three days it will be raised. Yeah, and the folks that are walking with him are like, you're going to destroy this temple, and you're going to build it back in three days? I mean, you know how long it took to build this thing? You know, we're talking, it was a 550-year journey. And now you're going to do it in three days. And, of course, what Jesus wasn't talking about the temple of the building. He was just talking about him being the temple. Because he is now a better temple. He is the one where the name of God dwells. He is the one in perfection who shows the character, the essence, the power, and the work of God. 
And what he accomplishes on the cross and in the resurrection completes the forgiveness for all who are God's people. And he is raised to new life to show the power of God and the character who patiently forgives and shows his compassion millennium after millennium. Now, and then um, the other prayer I want to look at is the fifth prayer. Um, as, uh, uh, and that starts with verse 41. And this, this continue, this is a unique prayer of the seven. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays toward this house, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you. In order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. So the first desire of God that we see is God desires for forgiveness. This house to be a house of forgiveness and compassion. And now we see this house is to be a house of forgiveness and compassion for all peoples. The foreigners that are mentioned here are the Gentiles. Anyone who's not Jewish. I mean, this is a picture, really, of Old Testament evangelism. Right? The, 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 these foreigners are people outside of the community from near or far away. But they hear about what's going on. They hear about the, the name of God, the character of God, the essence and the work of God. And this is the place where the name of God rests. So they have come to now follow Yahweh with them. To include all the peoples of the earth for this house. And, and, and th- this is not a new thing. Again, you see the the, the old. Um, sometimes we think evangelism doesn't happen until the New Testament. No, this is this is part of God's desire from the beginning. The very promise to Abraham is that Abraham, out of you, I'm going to make a, na- a nation, and this nation is going to be a blessing to all the families of the world. It, you, you see it in um, uh, the, when when uh, Israel was released from slavery, the Exodus in, in Egypt, and uh, part of why God was showing His power was so that the Egyptians would know He is God. And when they are released, it's not just the Israelites. We're told it's a mixed crowd. Some folks are already jumping in to be a part of this people and to join in this journey. And even in the Psalms, you you hear the, the psalmist talk about God fearers. Who are the the folks that are Gentiles, not Israelites, but now are followers of God. So God's heart, God's desire from the beginning and and the goal of his very design and plan in the end is for his people to be a multinational, multicultural community of people who are sold out for Jesus. Never was God's plan to have a homogeneous group. God's people... We're always to have a way, a clear and open path for the outsiders to join in. So, uh, God's desire is for the house to be a house of forgiveness. So in the Old Testament, it was the temple. And now Jesus says in the New Testament, it becomes him. He becomes that place. 
an imperfection that completes that work of forgiveness. So what, uh, so now we see in the Old Testament, the temple is to be that place for outsiders to become part of the team, even those far away. That any and all who are called to join and want to join are invited and welcome to come be a part of this multinational, multicultural team. So in the New Testament, then, what, what fulfills that element of the temple? We do. You and I are that part of the temple. Now, I want you to hang with me. I know you're like, I don't feel like a temple. <laughs> uh, or, or you may be saying something even worse. Uh, that person isn't a temple of God. Um, but hang with me on, uh, on this. Um, we are to be as witnesses to the good news of Jesus and his forgiveness, his character, his essence, and his power and his work. Uh, we are to be communicators of, of God's very character in, in what we do and in what we say. Um, the, uh, not only us corporately are we to, to demonstrate the way of God in the world and invite others to join with us, but the church meaning the people, not a building. Old Testament temple was a building, and it represented that place. New Testament church has nothing to do with the building. It has to do with people. So we can destroy all the building, and we still got a church, because we are here. But uh, we then, as the the church, are are then um, the ones, um, we, the Christians, become the very temple of God. Now, um, the Apostle Paul in the book of uh, Corinthians, um, he says this in two different ways. Um, he'll, he'll say it individually. There's one, one passage where he says, you, your body, individually, you singular, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're the place where the Holy Spirit resides. The name of God resides upon you, just like it did in the, in the temple. He also says another place in, in Corinthians, um, using his good uh, southern Greek, y'all are the temple of God. That together we are the temple of God. We are the place where the name of God dwells. That almost sounds sacrilegious to say, doesn't it? That's sort of, that's sort of crazy. That we have that call, that opportunity, that responsibility to be the very dwelling place of God. To be the one that demonstrates His character, His essence, His work, and His power. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, that is who we are. Now, um, Ephesians chapter 2, I think, captures this the, the best. And the other passages to talk about were in 1 Corinthians, and you can go look those, those up. Please, please do to see how else he talks about us being the temple. But here, Paul in, in Ephesians 2, a lot of folks know this passage, Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
And then he goes on. So that's, you know, so we are now saved by grace through faith. We are in, in Christ. And then he goes on and says, therefore, remember, now you are one people. There were the Gentiles and the Jews. You are now one new humanity, he goes on. The, 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 the blood of the cross destroyed all walls. Destroyed the walls between us and God, for we are now with God and we are with one another. Destroyed the walls between uh, us and between w- one another. There is no cross that only destroys the wall between me and Jesus. There, there's only a cross that destroys all those walls. And that's what Paul is getting at in this passage. So now as he's talking uh, about the Gentiles, those the, the outsiders, verse uh, 19. So then, you outsiders, you Gentiles, you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now he's, he's going to use this building metaphor here. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also, y'all, this is the plural y'all, in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, if that's not an exact connection to what Solomon was praying, then I don't know what is. He's telling us now, we are the temple. By the power of the Holy Spirit, it is God who dwells in us. In the same role that the temple had then, we have now. Now, God dwells, you know, God can't be contained in anything, but we have that same kind of presence of the Spirit in the days of the temple. Now, that God resides with us. We are to be... One who represents the essence and power and character and work of God in the world. Just like the temple of old. That is God's desire. Jesus has fulfilled the sacrificial system. And we now carry the name of God in ourselves individually and together. We, we, we carry on those purposes of the, of the temple and that we, we pray for each other. You know, we remind each other of God's forgiveness. We confess to God with each other and we confess to one another before God. We are witnesses then to the world of the mighty hand of God at work in us. As now the, the, the place where the name of God dwells, our call and responsibility and opportunity as the people of the church. For, for us, now, particularly College Hill um, Presbyterian Church, um, uh, we, uh, how, how do we then live into this? Well, there's a lot of great ways that we are living in. A lot of them that I just mentioned. I mean, ways that we gather together to encourage and support one another. And we, we, um, proclaim the good news of God's grace and mercy over and over again that every Sunday that we come offering our 
um, uh, confession and receiving God's forgiveness. And we are raising up, as we celebrated today at Milestone Sunday, raising up um, children to know. And we are encouraging and supporting and challenging one another to, to follow after Jesus um, in our lives. A whole lot of, of, of that um, uh, occurs. And that's to be, really is to be celebrated. However, uh, back to that fifth prayer that I mentioned. That's one where we need help. That, that point about evangelism. That, that point about of, of being a place that others are, are compelled. They, they hear and they see and they, they also want to receive that forgiveness. They want to join on board. Again, it's God's desire. And, and it's one in which we don't do very well. And, and so we cry out to God, just as Solomon said. All right, God, change us. Uh, do your work in us. Connect us, you know, with those that don't know you. So that they, they too might come and know and hear and, and receive your forgiveness and, and walk in your purpose and meaning of life. But for us, us as a church, um, now, before I say this, uh, you know this, you know, numbers are not everything. There is both faithfulness and fruitfulness. But there is both faithfulness and fruitfulness. So numbers are something. So if you look at us as a church over the last 25 years, um, there's only been one year, one 12-month period from January to December, where we had more people worshiping with us or joining as a member than we did um, 12 months before. You, you following me with that one? So every, basically, every year there's fewer people a part of what we're doing, whether it's officially or unofficially. Now again, hear me all out on this. You know, this is not about shame or guilt. This is just about, hey, this is what they say. And what does God say when we, hey, this, this isn't working like we, we think you want it to. This isn't working how we want it to. We want to grow. All right, well then cry out to me. Confess, there's something to confess. Seek me and see what God does. So, um, and, and, and as well, there, there has been adult baptisms. You know, baptisms of conversion have been flat. Really, baptisms total have just, over those 25 years, been flat. Now, I'd say 25 years is not an isolated incident anymore. I guess in the scheme of millennia, it would be. But in our lifetime, that, that's a pattern. That's demonstrating something's not in sync. Something's wrong. We, we need to learn and we need to, to grow because we believe God has blessed us with a call, with a vision, with a mission to be a multicultural church for His glory, united in Him across all differences and that the world needs that. And that's in line with His desire. So man, what, how do we share that good news with others and invite others to join? And so um, uh, maybe you've seen the, the Bell Tower News article that's been in the last several months where the, the session as well, the leadership of the church also has realized this and realized that we, we need to grow, particularly in the ministry of evangelism, and, and that we're not alone. I mean, this, this is a, uh, um, an issue in a whole bunch of churches 
Um, uh, but uh, and, and our denomination realizes that. And so ECO, the um, uh, Covenant Order of Evangelical Presbyterians, has, um, in, in concert with the denomination, where they've provided um, uh, different ministry programs uh, to really engage with this issue and to learn. And one of those is uh, um, uh, what we've participated in, which is for a transformation consultation um, in the middle of September, on Sunday, September 15th. You'll hear more details about that later um, uh, today. Um, but we've... In, so that the, uh, a person will come in um, uh, who has done this kind of work with a lot of churches to listen and observe and give recommendations. To prayerfully consider what, what they see and where, where would God be leading us to make changes? Because anybody will tell you the results you're getting are a direct result of what you're doing. And so if you want to change the results you're getting, you need to change what you're doing. Well, um, yeah, a number of you have been here 25 years. I know this is your desire. I've been here 12. This is my desire. And yet the changes haven't occurred. All right, what do we do? And so the session and their wisdom seeking God said, let's bring someone in to help us, to show us, to lead us, that God would speak through this opportunity. And because this is our desire as influencers. You know, our whole theme this summer is how, what is our influence? Well, our, we want our influence to be in alignment with God's desire. And we see here at this crucial moment in the history of God's people, God's desire is for forgiveness and freedom to come not only to his people, but to the outside people also. Whether it's across the street or across the sea. And so we want to be influencers with that grace and that mercy in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name, the character, the essence, the work, and the power of Jesus. And inviting others to receive that forgiveness and live with Jesus. So what I'm asking for um, us to do is join now in these next several weeks and to be in prayer about God forgiving us and transforming us. To, to regenerate us. You know, we've just gone through the regeneration of the building and that was a good thing. But that was a regeneration of the building. So now this is a work to say, huh, let's regenerate the church. Which is us. So you be in prayer that God would be at work through this time and through this partic- these particular events as to how we need to adapt things and um, adopt things and change things and stop some things and start some things. What, what, what those might be. I mean, it takes, like I said, if you want to change the results, you got to change what you're doing. In what ways do we need to change not just what we do, but our own attitudes our own understanding of, 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 of church and our own habits so that, you know, and again, this is, the, this is the good part of change, so that we can be the witnesses God wants us to be. We can be as that temple of old so that the outsiders would come and see and join in. And, and so that we can be what God has called us to be and what Jesus has made us to be at the cross, a dwelling place of the very name of God. In the power of the Holy Spirit, demonstrating His essence, His power, His character, and His work. And that the forgiveness that God has secured through Jesus to be shared with all people around us, near and far, so that many 
may come to know, follow, and obey Him. Amen.